Hey everybody, how's it going? Doug here, one of the hosts, producers, and creators of the Genre of Your Life podcast, bringing you all a review roundup episode this week. No full episode of the Genre of Your Life podcast this week. Uh, Nick was traveling, at a busy work schedule, but have no fear. The boys and I will be back next week with a full episode of the podcast for you all. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we play a game or do another uh, tier list ranking. We're still kind of working that out. I mean, I know our games were definitely a big hit as well as our first ever ranking, our tier list we did with Matthew Vaughn films last week. So look out for that. It's going to be a fun episode. But in the meantime, I had this review roundup episode for you guys. I have a very special one for you all. I'm reviewing... Uh, poor things as well as the new horror romance comedy Lisa Frankenstein starring uh, Catherine Noon uh, and Cole Sprouse written by the great Diablo Cody. I am stoked to review both these for you all this week so strap in and enjoy the show but as always guys please review rate subscribe follow whether you're on Spotify Apple Podcasts Amazon Music YouTube, YouTube Music, uh, please review, please rate. It means the world to us. We want to hear from you guys. Feedback, both positive, negative, neutral. Hey, we don't mind. We want to hear from you guys. Are you liking this show? What do you want to see more of? Are you certain shows, certain movies that we're neglecting? Let us know That's what we're here for. We want to hear from you all in the comments. So please review, rate, share us with your family, your friends, your fellow podcast fans. And as always, guys, thank you so much for the ongoing support. It does truly mean the world to us. All righty, guys. Like I said, I have two movies to review for you guys this week i'm supposed to have my lovely girlfriend zeta solzer on the show but again work schedules you know we all get busy work gets in the way um but she went to she went with me to the press screening of lisa frankenstein as well we saw poor things the other day and you know poor things isn't really quote unquote new but our theater in the neck of the woods here in az finally got it It was kind of like more limited release out here uh but we found like our theater finally got it we were stoked to see this movie i was hearing great things about it i'm not a big yorgos lanthimos fan but i'm a big emma stone fan i was hearing great things about it i wanted to see it before the oscars as you heard my probably recap the oscar nominations and the last producers playbill episode i was talking about i wanted to see it before the big day before the academy award so got to see it finally so you know what let's start off with poor things shall we like i said you know yogurt lanthimos and i you know i'm not the biggest fan of him as a filmmaker i mean rightfully so i've only seen the favorite i've seen parts of uh killing of a sacred deer i want to say her the lobster is very weird but more of an acquired taste, which I'm hearing a lot about most of his filmography and his catalog, that you know, a lot of his films are more of an acquired taste. It's not for everybody, but if you like him, you really like him. If you don't like him, you really don't like them at all. And I saw the favorite when I was in doing my semester abroad in London because I was hearing great things about it. Again, I'm a huge Emma Stone fan. I, I like Nicholas Holt a lot. Um, I knew Olivia Colman a little bit from uh, Hot Fuzz, funny enough. Um, I was hearing like rave things about it, how this movie is amazing, whatever. And you know what? It was pretty good. Did I love it? No, but I thought it was shot real well. I thought Emma Stone, it was phenomenal. I thought Olivia Coleman was phenomenal. I thought Rachel Weiss was fantastic. So a lot of great things about it. Again, the aspect ratio, the cinematography, the score with costume design, production design was outstanding. But, you know, I don't really love it. But I do want to go back and watch The Lobster and maybe revisit Killing on the Sacred Deer because I've seen clips and parts of it. So... I have a lot on my plate when it comes to doing Yorgos Lanthimos' homework. But, you know, the tra- trailers for this didn't really sell me either. I remember seeing a lot of them before seeing the the creator back in September, seeing a lot of, like, uh, teasers for it, like, on TikTok and, you know, YouTube and Amazon. And I was like, huh, looks interesting. Looks very kind of like, like a period piece, but, like, a little twist to kind of like the fantasy element to it. Um, and you know what? This is a very good movie. Did I love it? 
No, I think it's very well. I think it's made very well. I think the cinematography by Robbie Ryan is incredible. I thought this movie is beautifully shot. Its cinematography, the production design is phenomenal. But uh, you'll probably hear me a lot say this a lot on this tonight's podcast on this episode is that the costume design in this is incredible. Everyone from Emma Stone to uh, Mark Ruffalo to Gerard Carmichael to Rami Youssef to Willem Dafoe, like the the costumes in this are just beautifully crafted it definitely adds a lot to the fantasy element but like definitely gives it more of like a like period like kind of like british english um proper to it as well but mixed with kind of like really rock and roll for the time period but because we don't really know when the movie takes place Uh, and also i Forgive me. Uh, basically, Poor Things is about a lady named Bella, uh, played by the great Emma Stone, Academy Award-winning Emma Stone, that is. And basically, she's kind of like a Frankenstein-esque monster created by um, a great Willem Dafoe. And I don't want to say too much. I think, I think you should go in blind. But basically, it's about the incredible tale about the, about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and orthodox scientist, Dr. Goodwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. So it's definitely a Frankenstein. Is this movie Frankenstein? Very kind of like reanimated kind of movie. And I'm going to keep this non-spoiler. Even though it's been out for a couple of months, I want to keep it uh, on the de- down low with spoilers. But then you should see this movie no matter what. See this movie. If you want to see this movie no matter what, definitely go in blind. Uh, it's definitely like Tim Burton-esque, very uh, Guillermo del Toro of lot inspired, as well as a hint of like the Wachowski sisters, like Matrix and with all the movies, V for Vendetta, but not as violent, obviously, but like that kind of vibe at times, like very Matrix-y at times. Um, and like I said, not being a Yorgos Lanthimos fan, I think he really did a great job directing this movie. I think his direction is very strong. How Do I think it's best picture worthy, best director worthy? Not really, but there's a lot of great things to say about it. Like he knows how to like direct Emma Stone, given now they work together on the favorite of this. They have a great... Um, you know, working relationship together. I think she knows how to take his direction very wisely, but also kind of bring something very new and unique to it. Uh, you know, both Zeta and I said that the movie too. This movie is very unique. It's very unique. It's definitely very, it's original, but it's based off an IP, um, based off a book called Poor Things. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely, definitely unique. I haven't seen a movie like this in a long time where I was like, huh, you know what? Yeah, I haven't, I have it's when you see a movie this unique and this kind of just like, huh, it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's very artsy. It's, it's very ambitious too. I'll say that, you know, I've been saying that word a lot this past year on the podcast, ambitious. And I definitely admire a lot of filmmakers taking ambitious uh, directions in terms of storytelling and their filmmaking and their styles. And this is definitely very, this is definitely an ambitious film. And I think a lot of people are responding to that because of how unique it is. But again, it, it takes a lot of risks in terms of what they, what they're showing, what they want to accomplish. And, I'll tell you what, this movie has a definitely has a very, 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 very hard R rating. There's a lot of sex, there's a lot of foul language, a lot of innuendos, a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of interesting kind of interface kind of graphic uh, scenery and imagery. So if there's not definitely a movie that you see with your family or little ones, uh, we, we, we walked in, there was a family in front of us and I was like, be an interesting family movie night for them and then sure enough uh, a mother and like i would say maybe 
boy that was maybe 10 or less walked in and given what i've heard from the movie from moses and my friend isaiah and from a lot of their uh you know fellow colleagues and co-workers and friends and other critics is that this movie definitely has a lot of sex in it and they were not kidding so <laughs> if this movie's for if this that's what your family's into hey you know by all means go crazy it's a great family, family movie but just be aware that is definitely there's definitely a lot of sex a lot of nudity in this movie throughout the entire runtime but emma stone is phenomenal in this emma stone really you know I, she's one of my favorite actresses of all time i mean from easy a to zombie land to super bad to la la land to you know Birdman. like she's a really incredible actress and you can, this evolution of her is just so astounding because you know she I think continues to evolve as, a, as an actor, as an actor, more and more with her roles. I think she was again flawless in La La Land. Um, again, she's great. I mean, I love her in Easy. I think probably my favorite movie of hers as a, as a lead. But you know, she can do comedy, she can do drama, she can do action, she can do musicals, she can do everything. And this, this is very, this is a lot to ask of her because not even doing the full frontal nudity, but like who she's playing. She's playing this character that is learning as she's going and her mannerisms her the way she talks the way she's the way she you know approaches you know life the way she sees life it's definitely it's childlike but you see the progression of her as she gets as the movie goes on of her kind of like learning more understanding more and kind of understanding what the world is and how how cruel it is the beauties of it but also understanding who she is as a person too i thought that within the two and a half hour runtime is that yorgos anthemos's uh direction and her performance really show that like her progression of how she's becoming a, a real human in a, a human but like you know bringing back being brought back from the, from the dead it's showing her arc of like wow like where she started from to where she ended and i thought that emma stone really is the heart and soul of this movie but again i have to give credit where credit is due is that yorgos definitely knows how to direct her in such a really beautiful way but also this very just like very a uh, very ambit very unique way because again i think not every director knows how to i don't think every filmmaker would know how to do this the way he did and that's saying something as not not someone not being a fan of his not being too familiar with his work other than the favorite so i have to give a lot of credit to that but she really is the heart of the soul into this movie but everyone from from room defoe rami Youssef, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Gerard Carmichael, like everyone is acting their ass off. Like no one's phoning it in. It's really one of those great performances. But I will say though, you know, Mark Ruffalo is getting a lot of buzz for his performance. I'm a big Mark Ruffalo fan. I think he's great as the Hulk. You know, 13 going on 30. Uh, lot, I mean, lot, I mean, this goes on and on. Uh, the one with uh, just like just like Heaven with uh, him and Reese Witherspoon. Again, great actor. I do not think he's best picture, best actor worthy uh, as a winner or nomination. And you'll hear me out. It's the same thing with Leo DiCaprio. I've seen both of these actors have fantastic performances, but I didn't really care for his character. I don't think he's he's not likable at all. He's not likable at all. He's a schmuck. He's definitely a grade A asshole. Uh, he uses uh, poor Emma Stone, poor Bella throughout the movie. And every time they're together, you kind of just like, yo, this dude sucks. Like, he's just an asshole. He's literally a piece of shit. Like, just get the screen. And good news, Mark Ruffalo plays that really well. I'll give him that. However, but I thought his accent, he's doing this kind of like weird... I don't even know, like, it's English, but also it's European, and, you know, a lot, a lot of the actors in this are American, you know, having really Scottish, Irish, English accents, minus Gerard Carmichael, who's doing an American accent, but 
I don't think Mark Ruffalo's accent is very strong or good. It's definitely parody at times. I'm like, oh, no, whether it's dialect coach didn't work with them well enough on that or he just didn't know how to really capture the essence of who he was playing in terms of the accent and where the character is coming from. But his accent is very kind of questionable at times. I was like, oh, man. But, yeah, I just don't think anything was special about it. I don't think it's definitely – Gilal was praise and hype. I've seen better performers, better performances from other actors this year personally, and I've seen better performances from him personally as an actor. So I thought he was one of the weakest parts of the movie personally. And with that said, I do think one of the weakest parts of the movie for me was the runtime. It's two and a half hours. You definitely feel a drag on a little bit. Toward, I would say definitely, you feel it definitely towards maybe the middle to the end where you're like, oh, we still have another 30 minutes of this movie left. Okay, where are we going with this? And about didn't really bother me to a degree of like oh my gosh we have still we get it on with it but you definitely felt the runtime towards the middle to the end you're like okay I, I see where we're going but like a lot of dragging out scenes a lot of like kind of like in scene exposition and more depth of like certain lo- longer dialogue scenes where I was like oh, okay but let's get on with it a little bit so I do think it's a little a little long and I think if you cut up maybe 15 20 minutes of the movie I think we have quicker runtime but Again, it's more of a nitpick, but I definitely have noticed that a lot more certain movies where like a lot of things are dragged on just because look, look, look how beautiful this movie is shot. Look at this direction. It's like yeah, you're kind of it's a little pretentious. So that's well, my opinion, well, my hot take. Um, but again, you know, I'm not familiar with his show, but Rami Youssef in this really is charming. Yeah, he plays Bella's kind of love first love interest, kind of brought into this brought into this situation by Willem Dafoe's character, Dr. Baxter. And Rob Yusuf is very he's very this boyish charm. He's very charming. He's very like you he's very lovable, he's very likable. Like he's a good heart. He means well and you root for him a lot because throughout the movie he stays he while Bella goes on this journey with Mark Ruffalo's character Rami Youssef stays back uh, with uh, uh, Willem Dafoe and they kind of have a bond together. He's kind of like his kind of like prodigy in a way. And I love the relationship between Willem Dafoe's character, Rami Youssef's character, because you can see it progress as well the way, the same way that Emma Stone as Bella is progressing. Um, by, I, I, in, I probably should know their character's name by now, but uh, other than Dr. Baxter by Willem Dafoe, uh, Max McCandles, Rami Youssef plays. And I really do think that what one of the things that, that stuck out to me a lot was the definitely was the chemistry between Willem Dafoe and Rami Youssef and basically like how Willem Dafoe kind of takes him under his wing and kind of just like cares for him because while Bella's gone, Bella's kind of like a daughter to uh, Willem Dafoe, to Dr. Baxter. And it's definitely like kind of like father-son, but like mentor and student kind of relationship i love that i thought when they were on screen together it worked a lot of funny a lot of funny moments very a lot of heartfelt moments and to me seeing them on screen together was very charming i would love to see them do another project together whether it's like a fantasy or a drama or whatever but it definitely works and one thing i will say too as someone who i'm a huge fan of Gerard carmichael i think he's one of the funniest stand-ups ever he's a great actor you definitely should watch his show called the carmichael show that came out a couple years ago on hulu and a peacock uh it's a really funny show very kind of like modern day sitcom but has a lot of funny jokes a lot of heart to it and I, i've been watching him since i saw him in neighbors back in what 10 years ago which is hard to believe back in 2014 but definitely watch his specials on hbo they're very char- he he's a very fun he's very quick and he's very funny but he's a great storyteller and when i heard he was in this movie i was like great i love him as a comedian i think he's a great actor 
I thought he was definitely underutilized, unfortunately. But when he's on screen, though, he has some of the best dialogue, some of the best smoke character moments. And I loved his interaction with Emma Stone because the point where they meet is definitely, like, definitely kind of like the middle to like mid-second act to almost the beginning of the third act kind of turning point for Emma Stone's character and what's going to happen next. I just love their interaction. I love like their dialogue together. And like I said, how I felt about the chemistry between Remy Youssef and Willem Dafoe, of the chemistry between Emma Stone and Gerard Carmichael was fantastic. I wanted to see a lot more of it. And when the movie ended, I was like, oh, I wanted more Gerard. You know, I wanted more of his character. I wanted more of seeing what happened with him after certain things. And yeah, Harry Astley, Gerard Carmichael plays, and I really wanted to see more of them together because the amount, of, the small amount of time they were on screen together was just so charming and very lovable, and they really do, they really played well off each other. So it's disappointing that he wasn't in more of it, but but when he was in, he definitely stole the show. Definitely has some of the funniest dialogue, some of the funniest scenes too. So again, definitely, I love seeing Gerard Carmichael and more things. But I love seeing comedians like Rami Youssef and Drago Michael kind of just like really kind of take a turn to more dramatic movies like this, but bring some, but but also bring in their comedic chops to it as all. But yeah, it's definitely this to me. However, I what I, I didn't love it as much. I think it was a little overhyped for me, minus the runtime, and also minus not really caring for Mark Ruffalo as much. It, it I don't know, it just it was a little, a little too weird for me at times. I will say like I was like okay, it's it's definitely out there definitely again, it's very like very ambitious it's very like in your face in terms of kind of like what they were showing what they were going for but it didn't click the way i wanted it to i think a lot of people are saying this is the best movie ever this is a masterpiece i think it's a very good movie but i wouldn't call it a masterpiece i wouldn't call it oh, the best thing i've seen in a long time but it is a very good movie i think i went in with like somewhat expectations hearing it from my friends and colleagues that love this movie so i was definitely more excited than i was you know even watching the trailers and I felt the same way with the Iron Claw. You probably heard me on my review. Was that the Iron Claw to me? I was like, I don't want to see this movie. This is going to be like a snooze fest. I don't care about wrestling. And I was proven wrong. And I think of this too. I was also kind of proven wrong too because again, the trailers did not sell me. The marketing did not sell me whatsoever. It was more word of mouth hearing it from friends and colleagues. So I'm glad I saw it, but I didn't love it. I think there's some yeah, some story elements didn't really work for me. I think. The beginning definitely drags a bit too. Where they, I mean, they're establishing things, but like the way they kind of establish is kind of over the place. I was first twenty minutes, I was like, I don't know if I'm on board with this yet. But after twenty minutes, after thirty minutes, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely interested whatsoever. But I think the pace kind of bothered me to a point where I was like, okay, it's kind of it's it's good, but it's a little, it's a little slow. But I do think it's definitely a movie worth seeing in theaters if you're intrigued by it. I'm not raving about it, but it's definitely, I do like seeing quote-unquote indie, this is lower budget, um, Fox Searchlight, which is what Searchlight now, it was Fox Searchlight back in the day, now Searchlight once Disney bought them. But it's definitely the lower budget, uh, lower indie films of the Disney Fox uh, umbrella. But I would give this honestly a really solid 7 out of 10. Um, like I said, it's definitely in your face in terms of the sex and some of the violence and some of kind of just like the the nature of the movie, but um, Emma Stone really is remarkable on this. You know, I do still think I kind of favor with Lily Gladstone uh, for her performance in Kill- Killers of Flower Moon. It was funny. I, I kind of had the same feeling with this and Killers of the Flower Moon of like, I walked out saying it was good. I didn't love that. I didn't think it was a masterpiece the way that people are kind of making it out to be, but I think I might have liked watching poor things more than 
Killers of the Flower Moon, but also because my Killers, Killers of the Flower Moon experience wasn't the best because the theater I was in, the audience, the crowd I was with was definitely not respectful. So I probably had to watch Killers, Killers of the Flower Moon again just to get another appreciation for or just get more, just give another try. But I think I felt a little bit more lean towards more positive on poor things and killers but still if you do like really kind of like fantasy weird just science fiction-esque monster kind of movies this is for you but it definitely felt like tim burn and tim burn films with a mix of guillermo toro films without a doubt so yeah i'm giving this a solid 7 out of 10 i'm looking forward to seeing what it does at the academy awards what's going to win what's, go- what's it going to take away what's going to lose but I think this movie has a lot of strong, strong elements, aspects to it. I just didn't love it the way I wanted to love it compared to my other friends and colleagues. But yeah, definitely worth checking out. Alrighty, guys. Next on the docket of this review roundup episode is Lisa Frankenstein, a movie that actually I've been quite excited for, given the great marketing, great trailers for it as well. Basically, Lisa Frankenstein. If you don't know what the movie is, it's a coming of rage love story about a teenager and her crush who happens to be. A corpse. After a set of horrific circumstances bring, that, that bring him back to life, the two embark on a journey to find love, happiness, and a few missing body parts. This movie is really cute. It's a really it came out coming out at the right time. It's coming out Valentine's Day. It's definitely def to me the best way I can put this movie. If you heard my out of theater reaction or if you didn't, uh, is that this movie is a blend of Heather's. With a mix, a uh, blend of oh Heather's and a mix of early Tim Burton films. Think, think like Edward Scissorhands. Like I see, a, I saw a lot of Edward Scissorhands in this movie, and I saw a lot of Heather's in this. Uh, it's definitely a nice blend of comedy, horror, romance. You know, I love when a movie can like kind of juggle different genres in one and make it kind of feel fresh and kind of unique. Uh, and I thought the movie did a good job of kind of like having the jokes like our audience that we saw with were laughing hysterically a lot of like clapping a lot of like a lot of laugh like a lot of laugh out loud kind of like belly laughs and I was like oh good it's definitely fun to see a movie like this with an audience with like you know people who are love comedy and love a uh, good like horror comedy and romance movie uh, like I said definitely a fun day night movie it's perfect, perfect for Valentine's Day and despite what the critics are saying about Argyle I think this would be a good double feature to see this and Argyle together because they both kind of like have comedy, humor, action, romance, horror, whatever. But both movies really blend their genres really well. And, you know, watching her since, I think, Paranormal Activity 4, seeing how big of an actor she is now, Catherine Noon is a star. She plays the the role, obviously, of Lisa Frankenstein. And Catherine does a phenomenal job of having this kind of charm but kind of this witty kind of goofy kind of just like very kind of nerdy like shy kind of a character but there's so much charm to it she brings a lot of laughs she brings a lot of kind of like just a lot of a lot of human to it and i thought that like it definitely reminded me of kind of like like early john hughes kind of characters like like breakfast club or 16 candles pretty in pink you can tell like she's kind of mimicking or kind of just like uh taking inspiration from some of those characters in those movies uh i'm sorry her name is lisa, it's lisa but her she goes by like lisa frankenstein when you see the movie you'll understand uh but really it's definitely definitely heavily inspired by heather's John Hughes movies and a lot of Tim Burton, like I said, Edward Scissorhands, and you know, and you know what? To me, like I said, how I felt about Poor Things is that you know this movie has a lot solid pace. I thought it moved really quick. I thought it was an hour forty minutes. You don't feel the runtime. You don't only kind of feel like all right, it's gonna drag. It's, it's dragging on a little bit. You definitely 
has, definitely feel the nice rhythm it has to it. And, uh, you know, both these movies that I saw have a mix of black and white scenes and uh, col- and obviously movies in color, scenes in color. And I do think that both movies definitely utilize the black and white scenes very well. However, I think Lisa Frankenstein had a better use of their black and white scenes in certain, like, certain cutaway scenes. And you'll see when you, you, see, the, when you see the movie, you'll understand that. But in utilization, I do think this movie has better black and white scenes. And one thing that I... Been thinking about since I saw it back on Monday. Again, if, if also says my also says my out of theater reaction too. The eighty it takes place in the eighties. A lot of films, a lot of shows take place, you know, in, a certain, this, in this time period. This movie did not have an overload of eighty nostalgia. It didn't rely too heavy on it. We see it so much nowadays in Stranger Things and other shows and other movies and it and you know I mean the list goes on and on. It comes to a point where like oh my gosh a lot of you know Mike Flanagan's movie shows and movies take place in like the you know 80s or 70s and 90s whatever, but 80s seems to be a really big you know time period for a lot of shows and movies. This movie really does not rely on it. Doesn't like look, look, hey, look, look at this, look at this poster, look at this haircut, look at this song, look at this poster, look at this VHS tape, like look at this kind of thing we had back then. It did not rely on that. It wasn't like a cheap gimmick. It felt modern for a movie set in the 80s, and I love that about it. Where like it just nostalgia is used as a tool now for like kind of like a cash grab, kind of like a gimmick or a gimme. No, and I thought that what they were able to do incorporate the 80s. From the, from the style, some of the costumes, whatever. It did not feel like a gimmick. It felt really natural. It had, it had a modern tone to it. This is written by Diablo Cody, one of my favorite writers. Uh, she wrote stuff like Juno, Young Adult, which is very underrated. Her Tully's great. Also, Jennifer's Body is a big classic to my generation. Uh, her script is very witty and fun, like most of her movies, like, like Juno and kind of Young Adult, and a little bit kind of Jennifer's Body. Like, there's definitely kind of wittiness, kind of like fun to be had, and a lot of funny kind of like, uh, kind of like insults or kind of like jabs at certain people or certain things, and it's fun. I think Diablo Cody definitely knows how to write uh, uh, young adolescents very well, but also knows how to kind of like make it feel mature and very real adults. With the '80s nostalgia, this movie has a great soundtrack. You know, when you go, we go to some of these screenings, they'll have like a DJ or have like an you know playlist playing before, and they're playing a lot of '80s you know hits or kind of like indie songs from the '80s at the screening. And I'll tell you what, it definitely set the mood. And I get a lot of props because they, they, they could have been playing like Drake or Twenty One Savage or you know The Killers or you know Little Wayne or you know whatever Imagine Dragons, but like they definitely the, the DJ there was definitely playing eight songs in this time period. And like I said, it definitely set the mood, the right mood that is. Um, again, did not rely too heavy on the soundtrack either. Like in a lot of these, like, said, like a lot of these shows and movies are set in this time period or set in a certain time period. The needle drop. Look, it's Kiss, or look, it's Guns N' Roses, or look, it's you know this song, or Here We Loose in the News, or it's you know Run DMC, or whatever, or Share. You know, it's 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 it, again, it's more of a gimmick, or like a kind of just like it's more of like, hey, we get it, it's this '80s, we understand, and you know. A movie that I thought about this was a movie called Totally Killer that came out on Amazon Prime. It's a Blumhouse pick, kind of like Back to the Future Halloween-esque on Prime. That movie had a lot, a lot, and I mean a lot on nostalgia, where I was like, okay, we get it. We know what time period it is. Like, okay, what, what else can you show me with this? And that, to me, took a lot out of took, took me out of that movie. But with this, it, when the song, when the songs that they use, 
they work to serve the movie and serve the store overall story. And I was like, you know what? Kudos to everyone involved. I do feel like this could have gone like, oh, another 80s movie. We get it. Well, I'm like, when will he learn? Why is Gen Z and millennia, why is Gen Z so obsessed with, you know, this time period? Didn't feel that way whatsoever. And like I say, before too, the production design, well, I'm noticing a lot more movies. I think it's, really, it's an art, it's a craftsmanship. The production design on this is outstanding. And, you know, the cars, the the house, like the interiors of the house and the stores and the parties, whatever, or the school, definitely for a, again, focus features, kind of like the searchlight of, focus features is definitely, is definitely the more smaller brands of Universal, how, how searchlight is to Fox and Disney. And for indie film like this, quote, indie film, kind of low budget film like this, it's a, it's a great, has great production design. But I'll tell you what I said, I said before too. So about a lot tonight, costume design. The costume design of this is fantastic. Felt very similar to Poor Things. The costumes are designed very masterfully, and all Catherine Noon slash Lisa, all Catherine Noon Lisa's costumes, her wardrobe is fantastic. It's very Tim Burton. It's very John Hughes inspired, but it's so they're so crafted so well. They're very iconic. I feel like if this movie kind of came out back in the eighties. When it, when it takes place, a lot of people would probably wear some of her costume that she, that she wore in the movie because they felt very iconic for a movie set in the 80s, but again, had very modern to it. And I just kept thinking about how how amazing the, her, her wardrobe is. It was very crafty. It was, very, it was crafted very masterfully. They were designed beautifully. And I was like, wow. Whenever I see Catherine Newton in a new wardrobe, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is so great. So I definitely... Took a lot away from the costume design of this movie. I'm like, wow, I'd give all the props to the roles to the wardrobe and costume team. Despite having no dialogue in the movie, which is a big selling point from his interviews and press, Cole Sprouse, I've you know from Zach and Cody, he also the twins uh, from Big Daddy. Uh, Cole Sprouse, who plays the monster in this, and Catherine Newton, I thought had great chemistry. It was incredibly charming. They're a lot of fun to watch. Like I mentioned, their chemistry reminded me a lot of. Winona Ryder and Christian Slater in terms of Heathers or Tim Burton and Winona Ryder and Edward Scissorhands. Um, but there was so much fun to watch. And he, he he's, for having no dialogue, he definitely offers a lot in terms of kind of like, um, you know, physical humor and kind of like hand, saying, hand pointing, stuff like that. Or certain, some of the horrific things that happen from his character that he does, the actions, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely can see like the Christian Slater from Heathers in this movie for sure but whenever they on screen together they brought a lot out of each other in terms of performances and just the vibe of the movie and they were just so much fun to watch and and it's it was just enjoyable to see kind of just like two kind of very goofy but whatever they were kind of doing something like they're kind of like their things or whatever trouble they were causing it was just so fun it was very um like very young adolescent very kind of like high school and they both played off each other incredibly well with that said, it's definitely, again, this movie is not based on IP that I know of, and I, I, I hope I'm corrected on that. And it's not. It definitely was original screen original screenplay by Diablo Cody. It's refreshing to see an original movie, a genre movie like this, a horror comedy, uh, in theaters with an audience who said who was really into it. They were laughing, they were clapping, they were having a good time with it. And I just really do admire the commitment from Universal and Focus Features. For supporting films like this on the big screen at a wide release level, this 
could have been a Hulu movie. This could have been Amazon Prime or a Peacock original. But I really, really, really admire the fact that they believed in this movie to give it a full release around Valentine's Day, which is pretend per- to release this movie. You could have released it. You could have released it on Halloween too. It would have worked. worked probably would have worked just as well, if not better. But I think releasing it on Valentine's Day is perfect. I really hope I really hope people see this movie on the big screen for Valentine's Day. It'll look like a double feature. Again, for me, double feature would be great. If you do a double feature with this and Argo, or like if it's warm by you, not as bad weather, like do a drive-in. Like a, this is kind of like a perfect drive-in movie too. It's a great theater movie too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But like if you do like a double feature at a drive-in like this and Argyle, that would be one of the best movie nights ever if you ask, in a long time if you ask me. But really, you know, with the holdovers and now this, I really I get a lot of props and a lot of, and, and you know, I clap and applaud Universal and Focus Features for still believing in lower budget in lower budget original filmmaking. Again, genre that is with horror and comedy because a lot of these movies are going to Netflix, they're going to Hulu, they're going to Peacock, they're going to whatever. But to me, this shows that their commitment to the big screen with movies like this. So please support original movies like this. I talk about this all the time on the podcast, all the review roundup episodes. Support original filmmaking, support films like this because one day we might not have these anymore, or they're going to be copy and paste movies like kind of we, that we kind of see sometimes on streaming, like Netflix or Amazon Prime or Peacock and it's just, or Hulu. It's just like, come on now. So it's, and like I said, too, seeing a movie like this with an audience, with a crowd that are laughing, cheering, it adds, the, it adds to the experience. And this and Argyle and the holdovers and whatever, I can definitely say, I can safely say, too, that a lot of movies I've seen like this past year the experience had definitely been elevated and more fun because of the, because of seeing with the crowd, seeing with people who are just into it. I love movies. So again, please, please support original filmmaking, support films like this on the big screen. It's very important to do that. And I thought a lot of the supporting cast added to the charm, including the stepsister Taffy played by uh, Liza uh, Sobrano. I liked her vibe a lot. And I like that, you know, when you see movies, she, she plays a stepsister to Lisa and a lot of movies, last shows like oh, like it's like the bitchy, mean stepsister. But they didn't they didn't go that they didn't, they didn't go that route or that trout or, the, or that trope. Sorry, and it's like it's a stereotype that we've seen so many times of this like yeah, like I'm, you're you're my new stepsister. I hate you. I don't like you. We'll never be friends. And right away they go nope. She loves she loves Lisa. You're my sister. We're friends. I'm, I'm gonna look out for you. You're you're my family now, and you can feel the love she has for Lisa, despite Lisa not reciprocating that in the same way. But whenever she was on screen, like I liked seeing her because she was very funny, she was very goofy, very kind of '80s cheerleader vibe, kind of kind of a trope to a degree. But I definitely liked that. She, you can feel the love for the love that she had, that love that she has for Lisa, and it didn't feel like it's done before. And from the from the school crush to the to the parents to you know the people or people that they work with people at the party a lot of supporting a lot of the extras added a lot to the vibe and kind of the spirit of the movie and I'll I'll end my pros on this I really admire first time filmmakers that make movies that don't feel like first time filmmakers and this is directed by Zelda Williams this is her directorial debut I am look I am for sure looking forward to seeing what she does next as a filmmaker because I was definitely impressed by her direction and her storytelling and you know utilize, and her, with her utilizing Diablo Cody's script very well to the fullest. Diablo Cody has been around a lot of time. She's an Oscar winner. She also produced the movie. So I bet you that she has, 
had some kind of involvement with the movie and the storytelling and direction outside of being just a writer and it as give, given a producer title but really this to me felt like uh, someone made their third or fourth fifth movie whatever it did not feel like a, like a first-time filmmaker i get a lot of props for her but also you know props to her for managing the for juggling the genre different genres the romance aspect the horror aspect to it the drama aspect to it the comedy aspect to it because i think a lot of first-time filmmakers definitely stick with one genre and they go with it but not a lot of, I mean, also i've seen a lot of first-time filmmakers that try to juggle different genres and end up failing or end up not being or not or, or not, not delivering or giving a movie that you probably haven't seen from them again or they go right to TV or they or they just kind of quit the business or they kind of go back to what they were before whether it's Key Grip or Second Unit Assistant Director or whatever those are all great fields I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing those whatsoever but it is very hard to juggle a movie like this with all the different genres and a script by Oscar winner I thought Zelda Williams did a really good job utilizing all of this like I said I am looking forward to uh, seeing her next film or her next project. But all good things must come to an end. And I do have some cons, unfortunately. You know, I did have a p- problem with the pace. Not not, not at all. But when it ended, I was kind of like, I could have used a couple of more minutes in certain areas or more at the end. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is more of a nitpick where I was like, okay. okay. There's times where it kind of feels a little too short. Where I was like, oh, no, I want to see more of these things. I want to see more of this thing or what they were doing with these things or this thing. And I was like, oh, okay, they're 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 playing this. Yeah, it's PG-13. They're playing the safe route. But I do think this movie could have been, could have used a couple of minutes to kind of like just polish some certain things. Um, and one of those things, including is, you know, Carlo Gugino, who I've loved since Entourage and Watchmen and... This goes on and on and on. She's great in the uh, the show, The Fall of the House of Usher. Great actress. I think she was a bit wasted. You know, she's talking about tropes and stereotypes. I think the mean stepmom is definitely been done with movies like this all the time in terms of like the the time period or the genre itself. It's been done a thousand times and she's playing like the, I hate you. I'll, I'll never like you. You know, you're my stepsister because I married your dad. I love your dad, but I'll never love you. You'll never be my daughter. How I felt opposite with the sister Taffy, how like it's been the, you know, the evil stepsister, the mean stepsister, that was avoided. But with this, I felt like it was a trope of like the evil, mean, bitchy stepmom that's like, oh, I hate you. You're, you, you ruined my life. I'll never love you. It's like, okay, it's been done before. We get it. So I do think that could have been played by anyone. Carl Gugino, fantastic actress but i do think she was wasted or not given really a good role that she could have you know developed or you know make it more interesting it kind of just felt very stereotypical and a lot of, a lot of her a lot of her mannerisms and her dialogue didn't do anything for me so like i felt she was wasted and i get that this movie is trying to be accessible to audiences of all ages why all age wise and kind of like demographics but given that diablo cody has written some great rated r material i kind of want to read it rated r or an unrated cut i i felt the same way if you heard our argyle review me and nick both said that we love matthew vaughn he's made some great rated, rated r films it would have been cool to see argyle as a rated r film as well 
this i felt the same way but i don't feel as strongly the way i did with argyle but i do think that at times i was like it kind of feels like being a little held back from the pg-13 rating but i get it they want they want to market this movie to a really mass audience to like tweens and teens i want to see a movie like this on valentine's day during you know the season of love so i get it more of a nick pick but i do kind of wish it was coming more of an unrated cut uh given diablo cody's her her writing uh radar films in the past the dad, played by, I'm um, blanking out his name, he's, a, he's been in so much stuff. He was in 21 Jump Street. Um, I'm, I'm blanking out this guy's name, and I, and I, always, and I always do, too. Joe, Joe Crest. Joe Crest, 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street. He was also in Kill, Killers of the Flower Moon. He was in Ant-Man. He was in Red. He was in fo- a lot of movies. He was in where the Crawdads Scene, The Campaign. This guy's in a lot of movies. So that guy's in a lot of movies. He's he's a working actor. Uh, you know, I see, I've seen him in so many things. If you, if you saw his face, you're like, oh yeah, that's that guy. Uh, he definitely plays like kind of like plays a dad in most of his thing. He in, or dad or uncle or father figure in most of his things that he's in. He didn't really add anything. He kind of felt pointless. Like some of his jokes were definitely not definitely funny, but not always. And speaking of the jokes, although I admire the humor a lot of this movie there was a good period of time where the jokes were just not landing. I mean, I'll, they were. it was like a couple minutes, maybe a little over 10, 15 minutes, where I was like, yeah, I don't find any of this funny. And a lot, well, a lot of the audience was. They were so into it. They were clapping and they were clapping, having a good time with it. But there was definitely a nice period of time where I think myself and you know, Zeta was with, next to me too, where I did not laugh for a while or I was like, yeah, this is, I was liking it. But you're you're kind of losing me a little bit, and it's it's you know comedy comedy is hard. I'm 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 not denying that whatsoever. As someone who has written comedy, written comedy in scripts and skits, skits and sketches, who's someone who admires stand up comedy, would never do it. But uh, it's tough. Comedy is tough in all terms of entertainment, writing, performing, whatever. But I do. There was definitely a period where I was like, "Oh, don't make me hate this movie now," because I haven't laughed in a while. With all, while, the, while the rest of the audience is laughing, having the time of their life. But it found it found its groove again for me, and I was, I was laughing again. I was giggling. I was chuckling again. But I was worried for a second where I was like, "Oh no!" Did they, did all the good jokes in the first half, the first thirty minutes, or first forty minutes? I was like, "You had me. Now you're losing me." But it found its groove again for me. But. I had to dock it for not being as consistent in terms of comedy and some of the jokes, but I still had a good time laughing out loud with it with the with the audience with people just happy to see a happy to see a, a rom a horror rom com with drama in this. So I had a good time with it. Right now, it's not doing too well critic wise either. I think it's in the fifty percent, which is not terrible, but if you listen to Round Tomatoes, it's rotten. So I would give this honestly. I'm giving this between a 7.5 out of, out of, or 8 out of 10. I'm definitely in the middle. It might go up. It might, I mean, I definitely, I definitely would watch it again. I think a lot of people are saying it's definitely a cult classic in the making, and I hope that's the case. But I will probably give it a solid 7.5 out of 10. I would definitely rate it fresh. And I would say go see it in theaters. Like I said, to me, the main takeaway is how great Catherine Newton is. It's again, an original genre film that needs support in the, in the box office, in the theatrical run. Uh, so definitely see it uh, in the, on the big screen and repeating myself again and again. I think this is a great double feature with Argyle. If you have AMC A-list, you have Regal Limited, you go to a drive-in or 
do the quote unquote movie hop, the double feature, don't just don't get caught, uh, is definitely a good pairing with uh, uh, Argyle. Argyle's a good pairing with Lisa Frankenstein because there's a, lo- there's a lot of charm to this movie that is very that's very attractive and very very intriguing. So. Yeah, seven and a half out of, out of ten. Out of ten. Again, I'm looking forward to watching it again. It's kind of like I'll probably watch this again, maybe like when it comes to like Halloween or Valentine's Day, because it definitely has a lot of great things going for it. Uh, despite my little my little flaws with it, it's a fun time, fun time at the movies and see it with the audience, see it with the crowd, because it definitely will definitely elevate your your viewing experience. But yeah, guys, that's all I have for you all this week. Um, hope you enjoyed my takes and thoughts and rambles on these two movies that I do recommend seeing both in theaters. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I'm, I'm, I think, I think this year is going to be a good year for theatrical experiences. I love the commitment I'm seeing from a lot of smaller studios, like a searchlight or a focus features, because I think a movie like this could have gotten lost within like the hundreds of hundreds of streaming direct-to-video movies but i think that right now it's filmmaking and movie movie going experience is a very critical time i think dune will have a big opening have a big boost to the movie going experience but it does break my heart that argyle had a big flop and i'll, I'll probably i'll probably do a whole episode about that and my other thoughts of certain things in the movie tv entertainment world but it's sad that movie flopped the way it did, and that movie had a really hefty price tag on it. So, hope it has legs. Hope I hope I hope people discover it down the road or has a you know second life somewhere. But it's right now we definitely need support movies in the in the on the in the big screen because with streaming, streaming has definitely gone up a lot in terms of subscription prices and how a lot of streaming services are pulling movies off of their uh, their their platforms. So. It's it's fun to escape to a movie like this or a movie like Argyle, or even poor things too, where you you're not you're in an auditorium with strangers and just you're teleported to a different world or a different time and you're just you're just in for the ride of it all. So definitely go out, local cinema, matinee, discount Tuesday, whatever, get a get a Regal Limited pass, get an AMC A list pass, uh, because it's important to support movies like this on the big screen and to support the theaters, you know, support your local theaters because it's experience like no other but as always guys hope you enjoy this review roundup episode and we will see we will always see you at the movies see you guys peace